2: There's over one million of them in the US protecting you and me. We're talking about the nation's firefighters. and We sit down with Jewett City Fire Department to find out more about why these men volunteer their time to look out for the community. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott Smith. They are part of the nation's first responders, the men and women of the United States Fire Departments. But did you know that of the one million plus firefighters in this country, 65% of them are volunteers and 50% of them are aged between 30 and 50 years of age and they give up their time night and day ready for that next emergency call, be it a house fire or a motor vehicle accident on the interstate. Without them, there will be no fire department in many areas, and in the last several years, there has been a significant drop in people volunteering to become firefighters. I sat down with the Jewett City Fire Department to find out what makes them want to volunteer and what it takes to be one of the nation's firefighters. It's a great conversation, and started off with a roll call.
3: Hi, my name is Chief Louis D'Amico. I'm the chief of the Jewett City Fire Department. Hello, my name is Jeremy Senior. I'm
0: the president of the fire department. Ken Comfort, Deputy
4: Chief. Scott Walker, First Lieutenant. Ben Skopansky, I'm the Treasurer, and I'm in the uh,
2: Fire Police and Judson Fire Department. So welcome, all of you, and thank you for welcoming me to the Jewett City Fire Department. Uh, Chief, we're going to kick off with you. I mean, we're at a fire department, can hear it. it's all a little bit echoey and, and whatnot here, so we just want to give the, the listeners a bit of an idea, because we think we know what fire departments are about, but everyone's a little bit different, aren't they, sort of thing? So just give us a little, you know, that 60-second elevator pitch about Dewitt City Fire Department.
3: So City Fire Department is a volunteer fire department in the borough of Jewett City. We cover about five square miles. We do EMS and fire plus car accidents and service calls. The department was established in 1895, and this is our second house. We used to be farther down the road on East Main Street. And this was built in the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. So pretty much we're here for the public. 911 gets called. We go and respond.
2: Jeremy, let's get you in on this. Explain your role here, if you
0: would. So my role as the president would be to run the organizational meetings, the activity side of the fire department with the public and all the numerous activities that we do.
2: We're going to get back to you in a bit because I know that you do a hell of a lot of of activities and obviously we'll get you to explain some of them to us. We want to speak to Deputy Chief as well. Tell us a little bit about your role as well, if you would. I'm a Deputy Chief and I'm currently second in charge. I'm in charge when not around. Just give us a sense, you know, when people talk about Chiefs and Deputy Chiefs, what do you do? You obviously still go out on, on, you know, when there's a call, et cetera. Don't you just explain that to to listeners as well? Because I think sometimes people get the impression that because you're a Chief, you're a Deputy, you don't actually do anything.
1: Basically what I do is as a Deputy Chief, I'm the second in charge. The chief runs the overall scene, and I run the operation part. So if there's a fire going on, I tell the guys, take a hose line, go put the fire out. You two, go take, climb a ladder, cut a hole in the roof. Basically, we're on the operation side. Or if we don't have enough people, I operate the apparatus. Scott Walker, first lieutenant. I fill in when deputy chief or the
5: chief's not here. Get Make sure the truck gets out. Make sure the guys get out. Go to a job site. I'm in charge. I appoint other people to take charge of the radios. Tell the guys what to
4: do, and keep them safe. And Ben, tell us what you do because you're yeah, tra- uh, treasurer uh, as well. I'm the treasurer of the uh, department here. I report to Jeremy, the president. I'm also in the uh, fire police and our function is to go out there and set up a safety zone for the firemen, the approaching apparatus, ambulance, what have you. We control the traffic, we control the crowds and we intermingle with the uh, police the safety
2: zone and uh,
4: that's pretty much
2: what we do a lot of different roles which again is nice for people to try and understand because i think again people when they think about fire departments they think there's just the one role and you know you point the hose and you put out the fire and obviously there's a lot more to it chief just getting back to you i mean this is a volunteer fire department why do you do it we're glad you do, of course, but why'd you do it?
3: The people here are special because you give up a lot of time. And when I first joined, I, I personally had no interest in the fire department. Kind of nine eleven came along. After that, Ben kind of talked me into fire police, and then I worked my way up the EMS and then ended up as a firefighter and ended up as chief. So it was kind of, I've always given back to the community with other roles I've done with Little League and Boy Scouts and, and other stuff I've done, but... The fire department definitely is my passion, and also it does take up a lot of time. And that's why the people here are special, because you have to give up a lot of time. We always have a thing, family, work, and fire department, but sometimes roles get switched up sometimes, because you're, we're always here. And there's always, you know, when you have 650 calls plus per year, and you're on a call maybe 15, 20 minutes, sometimes time starts to finish, or if it's a fire, you could be up there five, six, seven, who knows, it could be a while.
2: All of you have got jobs outside of this, correct? Correct. Deputy Chief, just you know, you don't have to give us your entire life's history, but you know, just give us a sense because again, people again don't realize how much of the fire service in this country is volunteer. So, one, why do you do it, and, and what are you doing when you're not doing this?
1: I do it. To be honest with you, I come from a, my family's from Taffel, and there was three generations ahead of me in the fire department in Taffel. I moved to Jewish City, and it's, it seems like the thing to do, but. Back when I joined, it was father, son, father, son, generation after generation when I came here. We had three or four families that had multiple generations in the firehouse, which was pretty amazing now. Barely see that. I mean, I've been here 28 years, almost 29 years. On the outside, I work for the Rotten of Groton full-time, and during the winter,
2: I deliver oil on weekends. So I do quite a bit, but as family job fire department, that's how I was taught, and that's what I preach. Jeremy, let me turn to you. We're going to get on to the whole event thing, which I know is one of the many things that you do, but getting volunteers in, I mean, it's become a tough thing for fire departments across the nation, not just here in Connecticut. How do you try and motivate people, or how do you try to get people passionate about wanting to look after their community and come and work, you know, as a volunteer in the, in the fire service? So we've
0: tried numerous uh, avenues trying to put the information out to the public that one The fire department is volunteer. A lot of residents interpret the fire service to be a a paid department because they they just don't have that grasp that they're serviced by volunteers compared to professional firefighters. We send out flyers, mailers, you know, brochures, and some of the event information that we do. We just try to get a word out of that via the radio sometimes, and then word of mouth is a, a big thing. Just trying to get the the word out that we're volunteer and looking for new people.
2: Because people forget as well, it's a 24-7 service and it's volunteers. It's not like you come in when you feel like it. And when that call goes out, you're there. Correct. Scott, tell us a little bit about your history as well. I mean, you know, what got you interested in being a volunteer firefighter? And what is it that you do when you're not here?
5: I'm a full-time equipment mechanic for a rental company in Norwich. Work 40-plus hours a week and then... The rest of my life is spent here, and I got interested in it because I wanted to help people.
2: That's a lot of work. I mean, a 40-hour work week, and then to come and do this as well. Because, okay, it's quite, at the moment, at any point, you know, that could go off, and this will be the end of the conversation sort of thing, because you'll have to go. Right. So, I mean, although there's a lot of waiting around, I mean, it could also end up being a very busy night as well. Yes.
5: I mean, I've driven across the bridge many times, untying my shoes, coming to a fire call, so I can get my boots off to get on the
2: truck and go, and you never know when you're getting home. Let's turn to Ben. What got you into it, Ben?
4: Uh, Believe it or not, I live across the street from the firehouse.
2: That's a good reason. And
4: uh, you see the equipment going out on calls, various calls, accidents, fires, medical calls. Uh, you know, you kind of get caught up in that frenzy of, hey, you want to do your part and help out and uh, get involved. I retired many years ago. Got myself a part-time job at uh, the City uh, Greenhouse. I respond to the calls quite often. I just want to help out and do my part. I enjoy
2: it. I see you're wearing a Marines t-shirt. Are you an ex-Marine, sir? Yes, I am. Well, one, thank you for your service, of course. Is this a case of a lot of sort of volunteer firefighters are sort of ex-service or have had some connection to the service because that's a big family and the fire service is a big family as well, isn't it?
3: There's never an ex-Marine, right, Ben? They're always this, a Marine. This is correct. 1 2 <laughs> Marine, you always a Marine.
2: I apologize because that's no actually I've, I've said the same about journalist who turned into pr people and said you're always a journalist at the end of the day <laughs> so let's let's talk about the events let's get back to jeremy tell us about some of the events that you do because i mean i've got a list here it was supplied to me tell us about these events because you do a huge amount i'm looking at this and this is like <laughs> this is staggering
0: yeah so uh just a, a few of the events that we do we we do football standby for the high school football team we also uh do stand by for the youth football team as of recently. On top of, we assist the rec department with various events, whether at the town park or Main Street, kind of assist them with crowd control, shutting the roads down. We have a couple events of our own for fundraising.
2: There's a lot of football here, youth football. So, I mean, you know, that's a great thing just to get kids, obviously, passionate about sports. But that takes a lot of time as well.
0: Yeah, about uh, each game is about two hours. You know, and the strings, three games, three games a day, just during the the youth league, just to a system because they need uh, coverage. The high school football team were kind of just there for moral support and watch the game.
2: The other thing as well, looking at this, as I say, huge, great, big list: food drives, turkey dips, toy drives. Talk to us about some of that because obviously we're in the holiday season we're all hurting. Everyone's hurting. I mean, you know, we've all gone through the pandemic. I mean, that was huge for everybody, even bigger for you guys, and and obviously having to try and tackle those situations during that time as well. Talk to us a little bit about those things, because they mean a lot to people. They really do. And and I'm not saying that to blow smoke, excuse the (laughs) firefighter pun sort of thing, but they really do mean a lot to people. And you guys seem to excel in that.
0: Yeah. So as far as the food drive Toy drive. We've been doing that for sixteen, seventeen, six. Years. Yeah, sixteen and seventeen plus, plus, years. plus years. My my whole time here, we've been doing them every single year on the second week of November, second week of December. Food drive benefits the St. Mary's Food Pantry. They, you know, divvy up, uh, you know, the collections of food and the you know monies that are donated from the town folk to uh, you know individuals in need. And then the toy drive that we collect for as well. We collect toys and, you know, monies that they distribute under the holiday helpers uh, youth center, through the youth centre.
2: What does it mean to you guys to, to be able to do that, to give back even more? I mean, you're already giving back to the community and the fact that you're volunteering in the first place. Let's get that clear and out of the way. But then you go and do all of this as well. What does it mean to you to do that?
0: Uh, it's an honour. We We go out there and... We put ourselves out there. You know, they, they see us doing this. One, like I was saying, they don't. a lot of places don't know they're volunteer. So just being in the forefront of the public's eyes to see we're here and we provide all these services to the residents and surrounding communities, try to and publicize that as much as we can.
3: And also these, these events that we do, a lot of people volunteer in the department and just get everyone closer, I mean, as a group, because we're all together. And usually, we'll like when we come back from a call, we'll sit around this table, and a lot of people will talk. They just don't run home.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, just talk to us a little bit about that, because without getting too deep and meaningful, because I mean, you deal with some pretty like hair-raising, scary stuff that you know a lot of us hopefully will never have to see. How do you deal with that? Because that has to have an effect. It doesn't matter, I suppose, how many years you've been doing it. I'm sure it still has an effect. And to be able to sit here, people are thinking, well, you know, a bunch of men don't need to talk about it. But the reality is you do need to talk about this stuff, don't you?
3: Yes. Anyone ever needs help after a call, we do have EAP programs through the town also that can help out with incidents. But some of these incidents after a big fire or a big car accident or something like that, we do have debriefings. Now they call them a hot wash.
1: I've been involved in a few of them. 995, we had the fire over here. Back in 2001, I want to say, I think it was, we had an uh, ATV accident up the road. One was a fatal and the other one just barely survived. Some of the guys in the firehouse, I had to call in to uh, do a hot wash with those guys back then. 2006, there's a real bad fatal accident. We lost four kids. There were four fatalities. A lot of guys had to do... The hot wash, and it really bothered some people. I mean, I, to me, I uh, I just deal with it, move on. I mean,
2: I just how I am. Everybody handles things differently. The point as well is that even if you deal with it, you are the local fire department. The chances are you could be dealing with a neighbor who's been involved in an accident, so it becomes very, very personal. As a matter of fact, I've had that less than a month ago. neighbor's grandson passed away. They knew it, but I had to walk next
1: door. And yeah, he's... How to, how to get presumption orders, call, call the hospital and say, "Yep, yeah,
2: this is it. And again, this is the type of stuff that people don't realize. You exactly. know, they think you put on a uniform. They think you stop being the human being. But the reality is you are human beings. You're doing this really tough job.
1: Basically, the way I look at it, we deal with the public when they're at their worst. That's the way I look at it. Something bad's happening to them. They call 911. We show up. We do the best we can to resolve the issue, get things squared away for them. That's how I look at it.
2: And a lot of people don't see it like that. The other thing I wanted to say to all of you as well is, in amongst all of this, I mean, these, you know, uh, these stories of you know, the tragedy and the things that you have to deal with and, and say, the volunteering... You have to train as well. There's always the training. That never stops. I mean, how do you fit all of, of that in, uh, Scott? I mean, you know, again, we were talking about you've got full-time jobs. You're doing a 40-hour week. So how do you get that? How do you fit that in? Explain that a little bit of, to us about that because training is a, is a continuing thing.
5: We have, we have certain nights we set aside for training nights, which is usually Tuesday nights. And we all, like right now, because it's cold, we come inside and we do in-house training. And like now it's officer prep where we all sit down and we have someone come in and talk to us about different scenarios and about different ways to improve on yourself. And when it gets warmer, we go outside. We go out and pull holes, set up ladders, run the equipment, um, teach the younger guys how to put on their gear, take off their gear, climb under something, something simple which you don't,
2: which take for granted,
5: which they don't know how to do. And
2: that's what we do Tuesday nights. Ben, I want to come back to you. I mean, uh, as you said, all of you, you've been doing this for many, many years. What are some of the things that you would say have changed over the time that you've been doing this, other than trying to get people to volunteer because people, you know, it it doesn't seem to be ingrained in people quite the same these days, but also, sadly, you know, people are having to do two, three jobs just to, like, you know, keep their mortgage and the roof over their head. But what are some of the other things that you've seen over the years that have changed?
4: I think the reaction of people today... It's totally different than it was the uh, 40-some-odd years ago when I first started in the department. The respect, I think, isn't there anymore that we used to have many years ago. People today, uh, they approach a scene. You try to uh, assist them the best you can, direct them, control them, and they they tend to resent it, but you, you're trying to do a job, you're trying to help out, protect your your fellow firefighters so they don't get hurt, equipment doesn't get damaged, and uh, it's difficult. It's difficult, but uh, we do the best we can, and I think we are quite successful in what we do.
2: And, Chief, I want to get back to you. I mean, other than some of the stuff that we've been talking about, you know, as I say, the huge amount of events that you do and, and you know, just being part of the community, there's always messages that the fire department, whether it's Stuart City Fire or, or other fire departments, you always want to get out to the public. What are some of the things that people need to To understand that can they can do to help themselves maybe at their homes you know some of that uh, some of that sort of like good you know public service announcements stuff so that you know we can get that into people's heads.
3: Well, first of all, you know if they need nine hundred and one, don't be afraid to call. Some people hesitant, you know, if they should call or not. We'll go this time of year. Uh, a lot of smoke detectors or um, uh, CO detectors, the batteries are getting low, and they'll stop beeping. It's always at night; it always happens at night, two, three o'clock in the morning. So we're going out and metering someone's house, and some people are afraid—not afraid, but don't want to call because they're not sure. Call, we come. You know, we'll go out and you know check them out for them. A lot of times it's batteries, but you never know. It could be that boiler I backed up. And, you know, with CO and everything, you don't want to fool around.
2: Yeah, I think Scott was saying before we started as well, Scott, you were saying about obviously people, you know, burning. I uh, I, I think this year people are going
5: to be burning wood more. And a lot of times they wait until after that first burn to find out that they need the chimney cleaned after we've come. And I think it's going to be more prevalent this year with the wood stoves.
2: And Deputy Chief, I think from, from you as well, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, we're in that holiday season, lots of sort of holiday trees, those things are highly combustible and people don't realise how bad they are actually, aren't they, even the real ones? Try not to use the uh, multi-strip outlets, there
1: been a lot of issues with getting overloaded, everybody knows starting fires, keep your Christmas tree
2: watered as much as possible if you got a real one. And candles must be the other big bug there for you guys as well, because it's that time where people are still, like using a lot of candles as well.
1: well some, yeah, some do. I mean, people have in lucky fairly well. We haven't had like, too many fires were started by a candle.
3: We, just had a, we had a fire a couple weeks ago. It was a laptop on a counter. It started on fire. They left, and they left it on, and it just started the island on fire. So you just don't know.
2: As we head towards the end of 2022, mm. anything that's really hit you this year?
4: <laughs> it's just an everyday occurrence for us to respond and do the best we can and help the people, and uh, that's about it, I guess.
3: So this year for us, Scott Walker, our lieutenant, which is across from me, has a cancer, stage four cancer. And so he's been battling that, and we're putting on a benefit, matter of fact, for him. So the departments really come together as a group, and we really strive in other departments and a lot of people in the town have really donated a lot of stuff for this benefit coming up, which is a great outpouring for, from the town. All the departments in the area, Griswold, Baltic, Lisbon, uh, Taftville, you know, Mohegan tribe, you know, just right down the list, people giving, they're all giving out and helping us wherever we need for this benefit coming up, which is great because, you know, one firefighter, we're all firefighters. We're all brothers and sisters in this group.
2: It's good family.
3: Yep so
2: we're going to speak to you last then scott because you'll have the final word on this jeremy any slight like, final thoughts as i say as we head towards the end of obviously 2022
0: just uh hopefully we all have a, a safe year to come
1: i'm just glad that we have the, like all well, i call them kids the young adults that we got this year five of them in class a couple more getting ready to move up it's great to have them
2: i'm grateful for that and scott we're going to give you the final word on this Obviously, we wish you success with your battle. Thank you. If you
5: have a problem, go see a doctor. I didn't know. Had it for four months. I just had it started out as a raspy voice. And then it started out as a lump on my neck, and it got harder to shave. So I went and saw a doctor, and they finally determined that it was cancer. It's reduced in size by 50%. The last time I went to a ear, nose and throat doctor, I couldn't see it. The first time I saw it, it looked like a black golf ball in my throat. This time, there's absolutely nothing. And the only reason I have the trach in my throat is because my throat had closed up. And it has opened back up. So hopefully they take that out this next time I go.
2: Well, we're keeping our fingers crossed as well. And again still doing the job, still volunteering, still here. I mean, that says and speaks absolute volumes. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to all of you. Thank you again for inviting us to uh, the fire department, for telling us some of your stories, for letting us in on your lives, as it were, and and hopefully we will walk away, all of us, understanding the work of our fire departments Mm -hmm. across the nation a lot better. But to all of you, have a very happy New Year, Scott. In particular, we wish you the best of health. And thank you all for your service. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I I'm not done. I'm not done in this world yet. So, <laughs> and indeed Scott isn't done yet. We're happy to report he's doing well, still on duty with the department, and the recent fundraiser for him by the department raised over $6,800 that will go towards Scott's medical bills and continuing treatment. And on a separate note, the fire department also had a recent boot and toy drive and raised over $2,500 in donations as well as many toys that will be given to those in the local community to help make their Christmas a little easier this year. And don't forget, if you're interested in becoming a volunteer firefighter, then contact your local fire department or fire company in your town or city for details.
5: Some people won't give you the real talk on drugs, but it's time we know the facts. Fentanyl is killing people. It's a powerful opioid, often made illegally and commonly mixed with illicit drugs. It can even be pressed into counterfeit pills that resemble prescription medications. Just two milligrams, about the size of a few grains of sand, could potentially be lethal. This isn't an ad to scare you, but it is an ad to make you think twice. Get the facts. Go to realdealonfentanyl.com. This message is brought to you by the Ad Council. Got deer problems?
0: Let us help. With Green Valley Tree LLC's Deer Preventive Spray, guaranteed to keep deer away from your precious plants, bushes, and trees for up to six months. With cold weather on its way, deer will be looking for sources of food. Don't let your front and backyards become their pantry. Call Green Valley Tree today at 860-234-4041 or visit us at GreenValleyTreeWorks.com.
2: Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week. Local leaders in southeastern Connecticut heard recently from the Department of Energy about its plans to seek consent-based siting from towns and cities across the nation to store spent nuclear fuel from power stations while a permanent national storage location is found. The roundtable discussion, headed by Connecticut Congressman Joe Courtney, was held in the town of Waterford, home to the only nuclear power station in the state. Courtney said it's time to correct the actions of past administrations where spent nuclear fuel should have gone to a national repository for long-term storage but has ended up being stockpiled locally.
3: You know when you talk about Waterford in terms of its coastal proximity you talk about Neck with a high water table those are just not appropriate sites for I mean they were appropriate for water cooling you know the facilities but not for permanent storage.
2: Rob Brawl is the first selectman of Waterford and said although storage of the spent nuclear fuel at Millstone Nuclear Power Station in the town isn't ideal, it is safe there.
3: We grew up here in this town. We saw it built and we said, "Okay, you can do it. And the arrangement was there was not going to be interim storage needed. The waste would be taken away. That was naive at the time. But now we're at a point where we can do a lot more for the environment. This could be a win-win if interim storage is really done right.
2: The other storage facility holding spent nuclear fuel in the region is at Haddam Neck at the former Connecticut Yankee nuclear power plant that was closed back in 1996. Back in 2002, Yucca Mountain in Nevada was approved to be the nation's nuclear waste repository, but years of opposition and funding issues have stalled that project. In 2021, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granham said that Yucca Mountain would no longer be part of President Biden's plans for nuclear waste disposal and a timeline to find a national repository remains open-ended. Labour advocates are asking Congress to better fund the National Labour Relations Board in its upcoming budget, Edwin J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service has more.
6: The NLRB budget has declined 25% since 2014. However, as support for unions has risen, the agency needs more funding to handle these cases. According to the NLRB, more than 2,500 union petitions have been filed between September 2021 and October 2022. It's the most the agency has seen since 2016. Staffing has declined at the agency as well. Ed Hawthorne with the Connecticut AFL-CIO describes how the funding issue and other problems are impacting the NLRB.
1: This leaves workers at a disadvantage and it discourages concerted speech and it harms workers trying to gain a voice in the workplace by forming a union. So it would make a huge difference in enforcing the laws that are already on the
6: books. He adds that without people to adjudicate incoming claims and run elections, workers remain at a distinct disadvantage. Hawthorne wants to see this funding approved by the lame duck Congress, but he feels it's not a good bet. He hopes this funding will come through to better aid workers' rights and union efforts. I'm Edwin J. Vieira.
2: Governor Lamont recently announced that the Connecticut Department of Housing is releasing $13.4 million in grants to seven municipalities for infrastructure upgrades that will modernize and rehabilitate housing for low- and moderate-income individuals. Awarded through the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's Community Development Block Grant Small Cities Programme, Eligible projects are required to be in a municipality with a population of fewer than 50,000 residents. These grants will advance the preservation and development of affordable housing, modernise a domestic violence shelter, enhance services to the most vulnerable residents in their communities and also help to create and retain jobs. In Eastern Connecticut, McCluckage Manor in Griswold has been awarded $2 million that will be used for renovations at the property as well as upgrades. And in Wyndham, Terry Court has also received $2 million. Those funds will be used to complete priority capital needs at the property. Merry Christmas and happy holidays.